When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Corp is coming in. Goal, 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 of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today, in honour of preliminary final weekend, we're reliving one of the most memorable finals in VFL-AFL history. The 1987 preliminary final is etched in Australian sporting folklore, a titanic clash between Hawthorne and Melbourne at VFL Park that went down to the wire in the most dramatic fashion. Hawthorne Team of the Century member Gary Bacanara and Melbourne Best and Ferris winner Stephen Stretch were both in the thick of it on the day in question, September 19, 1987. And together, they're going to take us back in time. Gary and Stephen, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sam. Well, preliminary final weekend. I mean, what sort of emotion does it stir inside you, Gary? Maybe we'll start with you, if we may. Well, it's, it's always uh, a very nervous time because, um, you know, you're, you're one step away from the big dance. And, um, you know, uh, we were lucky enough to, to be a part, you know, I think this was about our fourth or fifth in a row, you know, uh, trying to get into a grand final. And, um, yeah, look, it's always a nervous time because you know that, um, you know, you you got one game and, if you don't win, the season's over and you miss out on, um, you know, a possible uh, premiership and uh, what you've worked for all year. And, Steve, how do you look at it? Is there is there a heightened tension and nervousness, as Gary suggests, that comes with this game, given, given I guess, there is so much to lose? Yeah, I think there certainly was for us, um, probably more so um, in comparison to, to Gary and the Hawks. You know, it was a had a fairly big impact on, on the Melbourne Footy Club as a whole because they hadn't competed in uh, in finals for, you know, 23, 24 years. So I think there was a little bit of added pressure to us as a team and a club, um, and we were on such a roll um, at the at the end of the season, had a couple of good wins in the previous finals. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was certainly very nerve-wracking, as Gary said, and, um, um, and, and we weren't sure... Uh, as any team is, whether you're going to get back to that position again um, in, in years down the track. So, uh, yeah, it was a 
it was a yeah, very, very exciting weekend, um, but, yeah, also disappointing from our perspective. And, gee, some games just live on, and this one is certainly one of those. It's it's unforgettable for so many people that watched it and were there and have, and have I guess, re-watched it over time. Gary, how often do you get asked about the moments at the end of this match? How often do you get stopped? Or around this time of year, I'm sure the phone runs, runs hot with it. <laughs> oh, look, I get reminded... Um most days and uh, particularly around this time of the year come finals um, you know it's a pretty famous opportunity and um, you know back in 1987 you know a kick after the siren to get your your team into a grand final uh, and you have to kick the goal to uh, to actually do the job so uh, yeah I get asked a lot and um, I'm always reminded whenever I meet a Melbourne supporter you know um <laughs> I always know who they barrack for because the first thing they say is uh, you so-and-so. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, uh, they've got long memories, but I, I probably don't blame them to a way, in a way. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I, I guess most kids when you're growing up, um, you know, they want to kick the, the winning goal um, after the siren in any match. It's not a, you know, but, but to do it as Gary did in a preliminary final, it's... Uh, it's just amazing, and um, you know we get reminded of it probably this time of the year, especially when the current Melbourne team are competing for, for in the finals. So uh, yeah, but I don't feel that happy about it. Is <laughs> what Gary does, and uh, the memories of it are uh, a little bit tarnished from our perspective. But uh, just a great game to be involved in. Um, you know, it's uh, unfortunately we were on the wrong side of the ledger. Yeah. Steve, I suppose when you look at 87, it was a heck of a season. And perhaps this prelim final we're about to revisit might be symbolic of the year. The entire makeup of the finals was shaped in the last round. In fact, seven teams were fighting to play finals and every spot in the final five was up for grabs on the last weekend. Yeah, that's right. It, uh, that's historic in its own sense, you know, uh, playing against... Uh, Footscray out at uh, Footscray in the, in the last minor round game to, to get a position for the finals. So, uh, and and having Hawthorne and Geelong play um, down at the Cattery. And uh, yeah, things just fell our way. Uh, things actually fell our way beautifully uh, right up until about the last 10 minutes of that last quarter in the prelim final. So, mm. we were very, very fortunate. We had a lot of good things going our way. I think we even kicked with the breeze for three quarters uh, on that particular day. And uh, a couple of missed goals in the last quarter, and um, and then Gary did his stuff. So uh, that was the end of it. <laughs> yep, and we will get we will get to Mother Nature. Yeah. Mother Nature was extraordinary on the afternoon in question. And Gary, your yeah. Hawks are reigning premiers. The club's played in the last four grand finals at this stage, a prelim before that, and you obviously, as history um, would say, you're in the midst of a run that would see you feature in seven consecutive deciders. But going into this final series, gee, there must have been a calmness and a surety that flows off the back of being, you know, one of the teams of the generation? Look, the, the, the group we had was, you know, it had some you know, really good players on every line. And, you know, we had, um, you know, our players in the mix of it as well. And um, we we're very confident in our ability. Um, we believe we could win any game. Um, I must admit, as Steve said, you know, uh, that preliminary final uh, probably tested that to a degree because we had to do it the hard way, uh, given the elements. Um, and we really didn't hit the front at any stage until after the sirens in the last quarter. So, uh, yeah, um, it was one hell of a game. But, you know, the Hawks, we always had that belief in ourselves because uh, we trusted one another and we believed in one another and... And I guess that comes through in a never-say-die attitude. 
And you were heroic on the day, and we're going to revisit the five goals that you kicked out of Hawthorne's 11. But personally, Gary, it had been a difficult year for you, hadn't it? I mean, you'd wanted to go back to become an inaugural West Coast Eagle. Your mum, Dawn, was obviously trying to recover from a very serious car accident. It was a year uh, that, that posed its challenges for you, I'd imagine, personally. Yeah, it did. It, um, you know, after the euphoria of 86 um, uh, grand final, um, you know, the the Eagles coming in and, you know, mum being sort of um, paralysed from that car accident and dad trying to run his business, it was it was a great opportunity for me to get back and help the family and, and whatever. And, you know, I, I'd had a pretty good 86 season and uh, Hawthorne were very keen to keep me and, in fact, went to court to keep me. And, um, yeah, so that was uh, my 87 uh, was a really disrupted pre-season. And, um, you know, I, I was training by myself over in Perth because I couldn't train with any team. And so I came back after I lost the court case because I could have either stayed and played waffle footy for two years or mm. uh, returned back to the VFL. And um, I decided to return back. So... Look, it was never anything against the, the club or the players. It was just purely because of the family reason. And, Steve, in your world, you'd go on to win the Keith Bluey Truscott medal, Melbourne's best and fairest, not long after this preliminary final we're about to, to look back over. So, personally, you'd had a great season in, in a great team. Yeah, very, very honoured to have won the Keith Bluey Truscott. Um, and, yeah, I, was, I guess I was at the, the start of my career. I was only 22 or 20, 21 at that stage. So uh, I was uh, I was young and um, I didn't have uh, too many injuries throughout the year. And, and Melbourne had a young, enthusiastic um, side that was on a, a fair bit of momentum. So uh, it uh, it all it all helped. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a terrific year and probably a, a good little patch for the footy club over the course of the next few years. Really. Mm. You know, we were able to play in a number of finals and I was fortunate enough to be a part of that. And just on that late-season momentum you speak about, so you get the job done, obviously, at the uh, the Western Oval, as it was at the time. So you sneak into the final five by half a game. You're 12 and 10 on the season. Yeah. But what clicked in finals? Because North Melbourne won a game and a half more than you during the season, but you flogged them by 118 in the elimination final. And then you belt Sydney by 76 in the semi-final. I mean, you'd also beaten Hawthorne in round 13 of that year. You're only meeting leading into this prelim final. So... Your confidence must have been at an immeasurable point. Yeah, it was at an all-time high. I don't think we started the season that uh, particularly that well, and we had a match out at Victoria Park that we came from behind and won, and it just just seemed to transcend from there. Our momentum um, was was at an all-time high, and a lot of confidence. We had a lot of pace in our team, and a lot of young kids, and um, as opposed to the Hawks, who were quite um, experienced and had a had some experience in finals, we were. Um, uh, had a lot of confidence in our in our own team and and more so in our coach. You know he was terrific, John Northey. So to beat uh, North Melbourne in the elimination final, then Sydney in the semi, um, was a fantastic stepping stone for us for the prelim. So we we felt we could win, obviously, um, but uh, yeah, we came up against a class side and they've, they've been a class side for a number of years. So um, yeah, it was it was disappointing in the end. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, and it's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Okay, up next, Gary Bacanara and Stephen Stretch take us back to VFL Park for the lone preliminary final of 1987. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with Gary Bacanara and Stephen Stretch as we look back over one of the game's great preliminary finals, a 1987 thriller between Hawthorne and Melbourne. Gary, set the scene for us in the Hawthorne rooms before the game. The great Alan Jeans is your coach, obviously, a great orator, a great motivator. What was happening in your rooms before the first bounce? Well, it was all about, you know... uh, uh you know, as it was for us, uh, and Alan Jeans was very big on, you know, moment by moment, you know, quarter by quarter, contest by contest. And um, and that really was the theme um, right through our, our our 80s era was, you know, you, you know, you, it was very big on not looking in the rear vision mirror, always looking forward and, um, you know, to the next contest. If something goes wrong, you know, forget it. It's the next contest that counts. And, you know, that's really what wins finals. And, um, you know, we had a, a great team that was uh, was very good at, you know, being able to attack. Uh, we defended very well and uh, we had uh, good ball users all over the ground. So, yeah, that, that is hard to, hard to beat uh, uh, when you're at your top. So that's... That's the goal at the start of the game. That's what you go out to do. And, you know, you're one step away from another grand final. Yeah. And Steve, down the hallway in the Melbourne rooms, well, a bit's been written about this over the years since, but it was an interesting scene under the control of John Northey, wasn't it? What what was going on in there pre-game? Um, well, my memory, uh, if it serves me correctly, it was, you know, we were, you know, walking over, over new ground and we hadn't been in finals, anyone in our team for... Uh, ever so it was it was uh, uh, a situation where we we didn't know uh, and it was very difficult to hold in your emotions you know I guess what we tried to do is uh, and again John Northey was uh, the ultimate motivator and was trying to keep it as simplistic as possible and uh, and just motivating us to to the point where we keep our form going and keep our enthusiasm up um, and uh, you know taking that out onto the ground so um, yeah so it's again my memory if it serves me correctly, it was uh, along those lines and we were just all very nervous and, and wanted to get out there and release that, that energy. Um, but again, as, as Gary said, you know, they'd been in that position before, so they knew what to expect. And whereas us as a, a young club, we hadn't been in that position. So it was a, uh, uh, it was all new ground for us. Yeah, and your one of your teammates, anyway, Rod Grinter, he would obviously find himself at the centre of the drama at the end of this game, but he was <laughs> he was the subject of one of uh, John Norley's big tactical moves, wasn't he? He was going to start forward. Well, he was. Um, there was a few things that changed very quickly, and I think the, the, the weather had a fair bit to do with it, or the, the elements, as you said before, but um, there was a couple of, couple of late changes, um, and I think at that particular stage, I was going to start at um, half back as well, but ended up starting on the wing. But uh, the game changed dramatically towards the end, and then they were throwing people everywhere. And yeah, I think Rod ended up back on Gary, I think, sort of late in that game. And as mm. you said, he was involved in that uh, decision that uh, ultimately um, got the Hawks over the line. Gee, I think he threw it typically threw his weight around early. I think he collected Chris Mew at one point. Mew comes out. Who came Gwinder and got rid of Mew. A hip and shoulders put Mew out. Pritchard puts the ball forward and Mew's in trouble there. Right 
out to it. And that's They're pulling for the stretcher. Very, very unfortunate for Hawthorne. He's been a great player today. Stretcher's going out. And then, and then Gary, I think Dipper returned the favour uh, indirectly anyway by collecting Robert Flower, didn't he? The, the, yeah, yeah. Who injured his shoulder and was heavily restricted thereafter. Flower, too long and runs straight into DPN a minute ago. Took too long to get rid of the ball. Fires at Melbourne side and DPN a minute ago hit him, hip and shoulder. I'd say it'd be rib damage for sure. Yeah, that, that's something that I always uh, wonder about how sad it would have been because I think Robbie broke a collarbone and um, and I think Brian Wilson actually broke a collarbone yeah. uh, towards the end yeah, of the that's game. Right. Uh, so those two players who had been at Melbourne for a long time, you know, I think it would have been heartbreaking uh, for Melbourne to make a grand final without Robbie Flower. It would have been uh, it would have been something that would have. Whether he would have played with injections, I don't know. But uh, that's something I've thought about um, over the years as well. And I don't know, you're out there in the heat of battle, Steve, so you probably don't have a great memory of it at the time. But I think Rob came back on in the last quarter, didn't he? He might have parked himself at full forward. But obviously, as I say, was was heavily restricted. Yeah, yeah, he did. And I think um, further to Gary's comments, I think Simon Eichold had busted his thumb. Um, so, you know, pulling up uh, the next week in a grand final, I think, uh, I'm not sure what it, whether Robbie or, or Brian would have played. So, uh, but I, I do remember a classic photograph. I think Robbie came back on and he plumped himself at full forward. And um, Tucky, who uh, was involved in that last passage of play, um, mm. were, were perched in the back pocket there when the siren went. And there was a classic photo, I think, of them both shaking hands. And um, yeah, Robbie obviously dejected, and, and, and Tucky obviously wrapped that he's in another grand final. Now, Gary, what was the wind actually doing here? We've touched on it a couple of times. Mother Nature uh, it just uh, was making up her own mind on the day. It, it made the Melbourne actually kick with the breeze for three quarters. They had it in the first, swung around at quarter time, they had it in the second too, and obviously in the last. Well, that's right. It was, uh, it was um, a weird feeling because um, Melbourne won the toss and went with the breeze, as, as you mostly do, uh, uh, especially out at Waverley. Um, can be pretty fickle out there and... Um, so they kick with a pretty strong breeze and then we're walking in at quarter time and it was just unreal. The wind just turned all of a sudden such a... And it blew the other way just as strong. And Got a feeling that wind swung round. I think it has. The wind has swung to the end that Melbourne is kicking to. It will be very interesting. Watch this kick of Steins as he runs out and he kicks a beautiful-looking drop punt. This is bad luck for Hawthorne. We're thinking to ourselves, uh, we're going to kick against the wind for the first half here. And um, so we really only had the third quarter with the wind and we made a bit of ground back up in the third quarter and Melbourne went with it in the last. And, um, yeah, um, as as uh, Stretchy said, uh, they, um, you know, they had multiple opportunities. If you watch that game in the last quarter, that. You know, I reckon three or four blokes, and, and including Simon Eichold, the kick, it's probably nearly the worst kick of all times, uh, um, come off his instep, I think. So, um, yeah, they had opportunities just to ice the game, and they just kept us in it, and we just kept plugging away and getting a goal, getting a goal, and, um, you know, to the point where it was the 
siren had gone and it was the final kick. And, and Gary, before we get to a break, take us to the main break. So half time. Now the D's are up by 22 points. It's 6-10 to 3-6. So both teams have butchered some chances in front of the sticks. Now you've got three players. Let's talk about the difference in age profile. You've got three players under 23 on the day. You're a seasoned team. The mood in the rooms at the main break, how, how would you describe it? Uh, look, there was there was a belief, you know, like and Genji like John Norby back in those great coaches, you know, they they um they weren't really negative uh when, you know, it came to the big it was all about what you can do, not what you can't do. And um Genji just believed in it and, you know, set us a task of, you know, outscoring Melbourne in the third quarter by a couple of goals or getting it close to even um, at three-quarter time and backing our will in the last quarter to get across the line. So it was there was a bit of belief in there that, you know, we've gone against the wind for two quarters and we're only, you know, 22, three-and-a-bit goals down, so we can turn this around in the third quarter. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life on this preliminary final weekend, and it's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can visit them at tobinbrothers.com.au. Up next, the temperature is about to be turned up in the 87 prelim final between Hawthorne and Melbourne. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're revisiting the 1987 preliminary final with four-time Hawthorne Premiership player Gary Bacanara and Melbourne best and fairest wingman Stephen Stretch. So, Gary, your Hawks finally get a crack at having the breeze at your back in the third term, but the sides split the honours, 4-2 apiece. So Melbourne still lead by 22 at the last change. Standing there in the three-quarter time huddle, I'm going to test your memory here. Did you think it was a bridge too far at that stage? Oh, as I said before, we always had belief in ourselves, but um, Melbourne were playing really good football. It was young, enthusiastic football, play on quickly, get the ball forward. Um, they had run and, and probably were outrunning us um, to that degree. Now, finals are, uh, you know, you, you can... Um, get tired uh, a bit quicker than normal, say, home and away games, particularly towards the end of the games. And, and this is where the modern rotation factor uh, comes in. Um, there wasn't such a rotation factor back in, our, in that era. And um, players tended to get tired, uh, tired and games sometimes opened up. And, um, you know... Uh, at three-quarter time, yeah, there was a feeling of, geez, we've got our work cut out here. But again, there was that belief amongst ourselves that, you know, we were never out of any game. And, Steve, what was it like in your huddle uh, a few metres away? Obviously, a lot had gone right at this point. Brett Bailey was speaking about the run. Todd Viney, Ricky Jackson, he was also prominent. A lot had gone yeah. right to that point. And, and I don't know if you can say you ran out of gas because we're, we'll go through the missed opportunities in the last quarter in a moment. But what was the mood like in the Melbourne huddle at the last change? Again, I, my memory um, from from that particular time was that we we were up and about. Um, we were playing well. We were in front. Uh, we were young. We were fit. Um, 
you know, but we weren't silly. You know, we knew um, the caliber of the the opposition, and we knew that Hawthorne were going to come. So, uh, again, it was just as Gary said before. You know, your coaches always stay positive. It was more about what you can do, and we were in a position to to win. Uh, the final, win the prelim final. So we just had to stay positive and, and keep doing what we were doing. And we felt we had more run um, than Hawthorne at that stage, being younger and a little bit more pace perhaps uh, in the forward line with Ricky Jackson uh, and these types to uh, give us those opportunities to score. Um, so, you know, we were up and about. There's no question about that, but we uh, fully believed that we could win. And Gary, Jason Dunstall's obviously injured. Dermot Brereton has been well held by Sean White. In fact, I think he kept him to just one goal. A performance so good, it, it might have ironically played a part in Melbourne's downfall because Yabby moves Derm to centre-half back, doesn't he? And he was he was critical in the fight back, wasn't he? No doubt about that. And, um, you know, probably Dermot doesn't go down there if Chris Mew gets, doesn't get knocked out. And, um, mm. uh, um, you know, that... Dermot all of a sudden, you know, uh, started to find the footy and distribute it a, a bit more and, you know, with his aggression down there. But, you know, when you look at that last quarter, it's, you know, we get it few, uh, forward just enough times and then most times we got it forward, we kicked the goal. Melbourne got it in that many times, but missed. And um, I think it was a... We've lost opportunities. Uh, now, that's not experienced sometimes. Some of those kicks were under pressure, etc. but they were kickable goals when you when you look back at it. And, um, you know, one even one of those goals would have been enough. Um, but we just kept going forward. And, you know, I got on the end of a couple and um, we just kept kicking goals um, through very few entries and uh, Melbourne kept missing. And Steve, tell us about this last quarter and these missed opportunities because a lot is obviously made of Jim Stein's involvement right at the very end. But this frantic last quarter, Ricky Jackson sets up Graham Yates 20 metres out from goal. He watched him miss. Then we know about Simon Eichold, shocking miss that's made a few blooper reels over the years. And then Tony Campbell did likewise um, after Greg Healy set him up out of a set of clearance. So all three of those misses, watching them, I imagine, doesn't get any easier despite the years going on. No, that's right, and, and specifically um, Graham Yates and, and Tony Campbell, because I was sitting at half back at that stage on uh, Russell Morris, and um, that we had there was a, the breeze was blowing from uh, from the uh, east to the west, and, and both players kicked the ball to the right hand side goalpost, and 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 were starting to come back, and I was thinking, I remember thinking to myself, you know, we've got this, and for the pace of Jackson, he runs, he sprints, he bounces. This is magnificent football. This will be the winning goal, I think. Yates into the open goal goes Graham Yates. He's hooked it. He's missed. Oh, boy, Hawthorne live again. Oh, smothered away from Schwab. Greg Healy, the half forward. Brereton, Campbell gets away. He kicks. He misses. So Hawthorne live again. As Gary said, we only needed one of those goals to go through, and I think we would have had it. Um, so, yeah, those three opportunities, um, and there would have probably been a couple more early in the quarter, but um, obviously it only came down to those last five or ten minutes, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, missed opportunities, and uh, and then obviously uh, Gary being involved in that uh, last 20-second play, which is etched in my memory, he is, <laughs> um, yeah, sort of... Uh, come home with the chocolates. Just on that last 20 seconds, in that time, so late 80s, did you have an awareness of how long there was to go at that at that point, Steve? 
Well, I didn't. No, you know, you don't tell me nowadays they put up a card that says one minute to go or two minutes to go. So we knew it was close, obviously. Um, I was more concerned about just playing on a man and just playing man on man footy, especially with that last that last play. I, and I think it was about 20 seconds. I'm not sure Gary might be able to confirm, but it was certainly not long. And uh, it evolved how it did. And um, I, I'm not sure Jimmy Steins, even if... I've always thought, you know, Gary's probably one of the best kicks in the team at that particular stage, and I would have thought he or, or, or Jason Dunster would have been the two two guys you would have picked to kick that last goal. And uh, whether it's 30 metres out or 50 metres out, I, I personally believe it probably would have gone through anyway. So in between all the drama of those misses at the Melbourne end, Gary Bacanara has hit the post with a set shot, and then he's kicked to Joe the Goose to get the Hawks within striking distance. And as we're about to discover, he's about to become the hero. So the incredible conclusion to the 1987 preliminary final, Gary Bacanara-Steven Stretch is up after this, and it's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Gary Bacanara and Stephen Stretch are our guests on preliminary final weekend. So, Gary, when Tony Campbell misses, Michael Tuck picks up the ball for their kick-in to the left of screen as you're watching it on the, on the small screen. Now, at this stage, there's 12 seconds left with the Hawks down by four points. What do you recall of those final 12 seconds? How sharp is the memory as you're standing up the other end of the ground? Yeah, well, Genji had actually put me back into the square because he, you know, felt, um, you know, uh, that maybe if the ball got down, you know, one on one, I could, uh, I could do something on my opponent. So I remember the ball coming out, and it just came out so cleanly. And you know, it's incredible to think a Tucky kicks it down the middle of the ground, and uh, Swabby in a in a pack, it actually goes over, and Swabby marks it quickly, handballs to Langford. I see this happening, and, and I start a, a long lead from the... Um, I was probably 20 metres out, so I start a long lead when I read the play that Langers is going to get it, and I get a bit of a break on on Rod. Langford comes out with the ball, drives it down, Bacchanara, trip! Bacchanara's free kick! You know, by the time I get probably interfered with, um, you know, I'm you know 48-odd metres out, you know, um, and I get a free kick. What was the free kick actually for? Was it a push or what was the free kick for? Well, basically it's in the back or a trip or whatever. But yep. yeah, I certainly got interfered with uh, by by Rod. And um, it was probably, if you look at it, it was probably a free kick. I, I think that's not in dispute. Um, yeah, and from from that point then, it's uh, it's full of drama. Yeah, so he's Rod Grinter standing on the fifty. Now you would have had to have kicked at sixty, or the the better part of the siren goes before the ball is even returned to you. Did did you know the siren had actually sounded at at, at that stage, and it did sound for an eternity, mind you, because it looked as though you were quickly going to get on with it and kick a barrel. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I just you know I didn't hear the siren go. So um, and. 
you know, I was sort of thinking, you know, as you do, get the ball forward quickly. You know, I was thinking of, you know, we've we've got to keep moving this. And um, um, not long after that, uh, obviously, Steinge goes through the mark, not seeing where the mark was. And Dipper had sort of run um, down, you know, about 20 or 30 metres. And he was free inside 50. So Steinge ran, you know, to go and pick him up, not knowing that he's run through the mark uh, to give me 15 metres. It's 15 metres! 15! And then um, Russell Green, you know, after the 15 metres, Russell Green comes up to me and puts his arm around my shoulder and I still hadn't heard the siren. Uh, For for God's sake, Bucky kicked the goal, the siren's gone. So um, Mm. here's a bit of pressure for you. What pressure on Gary Bacanara! He is a champion. He is a great kick. If he kicks this goal, Hawthorne are in the grand final. The umpires haven't heard it yet, I don't think. If he kicks this goal, Hawthorne are in the 1987 grand final. If he misses, Melbourne are in. Yeah, and how, how was the pressure on your shoulders at that point? Because you were an set shot. Does the mind play funny things? Do you remember your thought processes in that frantic last few seconds? Not really, and uh, that was... a probably a good thing because I got on with it pretty quickly. I didn't leave myself time to, to ponder and think, geez, if I miss this. And that never came into my mind, thank goodness. Um, that came into my mind more after the game when things had settled. Um, what if I had missed it? You know, that's when I sort of got nervous. But uh, at the point in time, I just took the 15. I was walking in and, and, and pretty much kept going and, um, and struck the ball beautifully. There's the kick. It's a goal. It's a goal. Hawthorne have won with a kick after the siren. What a performance. A magnificent performance this by Hawthorne. Yeah, it never looked like missing, did it? No, it went pretty much straight through. The umpire gave it a bit of theatre, which was good, you know, uh, <laughs> moved across into the points and uh, and signalled a goal. Um, but, yeah, look, it pretty much went straight through. <laughs> And Steve, obviously the late Jim Steins is in his first year of footy. The Irishman's playing game number 13 when he runs across the mark and it's umpire David Howlett who pings him with the 15-metre penalty. Where were you while all this was, was unfolding and, and Gary's lining up? Yeah, so I was um, running through the, the, the centre-half uh, back area for us, obviously Hawthorne centre-half forward area. and um, Russell was running through there. I think he'd been... Before then, I actually thought it was John Kennedy um, that came over to Gary, but it might have been Russell Morris. But um, I was trying to tack on to him because he was pushing into the forward line. So, uh, And then I hadn't heard the siren at all and uh, couldn't hear it. And then I got into the goal square. I was right on the goal line. And Dean Sharon had said to me, bloody hell, the siren's gone. And uh, I couldn't hear it. Um, and then obviously Jimmy did his thing and... Uh, yeah, disappointing for him. I guess he was still trying to get his head around the rules and and and, and our game. You know, only being his second year. So, um, but he was only doing what most would have done, and he was trying to chop uh, chop Dipper off to to stop that kick in from Gary. So, yeah, and and Gary's right. He hit it beautifully, and I was right on the goal line. And as soon as it left his boot, um, it was straight through post high. So it was never going to miss. And uh, um, history uh, history is written. Yeah, and to the best of your understandings with Jim, was it a matter of him not quite knowing all the rules at that point or just in the, the, the chaos at the end, he just uh, lost track of where he was? 
I think there's probably a combination of both. You know, there was a lot of players screaming. Um, you couldn't hear yourself talk or scream because of the, the noise of the crowd. I think there was 72 or 73,000 people there. Um, and I think the, someone said the siren went for about a minute and a half. So, again, I couldn't hear it. Gary didn't hear it. Um, so it was just frantic. It was really um, emotional, um, stressful. You know, everyone was trying to pick up their players. And, and as Gary said, you know, when he took the mark, he went to sort of kick the ball reasonably quickly. And then the siren was actually going at that time. So there was a whole lot of stuff happening. And, um, yeah, in a short space of time. So it was, uh, yeah, it was very, very difficult to deal with at the time. Poor old Melbourne. You've got to the hearts go after the Melbourne Football Club. Stephen Stretch can't believe it. And Eels falling. Melbourne players absolutely demoralised. Yeah, and the Melbourne rooms, I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like in the immediate aftermath. Now, no doubt the free kick was there, as Gary says. The 15-metre penalties beyond dispute either. But that didn't stop the chairman, Stuart Spencer, and your celebrity supporter, Darren Hinch, from going down to confront the umps after the game. But obviously all that's for naught at the end. The rooms afterwards, I mean, there's a famous picture of John Northey obviously glaring at Steins, and I think he yells, don't you ever do that again, Jim, and a comment he said he later regretted because I guess it is a lot yeah, for one, one player to be burdened with, isn't it, at 21? And I think he might have even gone back home to escape the fallout, but probably history says it might have even proven to be the making of him anyway. I think you're, I think you're right, yeah. Poor old Jim Popter was on the brunt of most of it, um, certainly not from our perspective. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty dire scene in the change rooms afterwards and a lot of reflection. Um, but I think John Northey went into the lift afterwards and Jim was in there and they had a, had a good chat and they, they smoothed things over. And as you said, I think Jimmy went back home and thought, well, he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. And, uh, you know, he's, he's written his own history uh, after that. So uh, mm. probably, probably a positive from that perspective, if you can take a positive out of it. But, uh, yeah, it was a, pre- a pretty ordinary scene in the rooms and uh, a lot of people crying and... Uh, um, I was good mates with Johnny Platt at that stage and we were talking to him and his uh, wife after after the game and um, I don't think they could believe it at that stage that they, they'd got over the line and we were we were devastated. But uh, yeah, what a terrific game. Yeah, and, and Dipper, I think, might have used the term or the phrase, the comment, we were thieves, Gary. I mean, was there an overwhelming feeling in, the, in your rooms that you'd absolutely gotten away with one? Oh, probably. Probably to a degree, but you know, on the other hand, it was a pretty courageous effort to mm. keep fighting, keep uh, keep hanging in there. And but there's the character that was a courageous win that by Hawthorne. They were down and out. And taking your opportunities, um, whereas Melbourne didn't take those opportunities that they had to, you know, to seal the seal the game. And you know, it's a funny thing, football. If you keep the door ajar, sometimes it gets flung open and um uh that's what happened unfortunately to melbourne and um yeah it was it was a bit strange you know because we did have after matches didn't we stretchy in those days and they were all good and you know wives and kids and families and administrators and all that got together and had a beer and um i sort of wasn't getting a lot of conversation from the melbourne players <laughs> on that day, but I I did know Warren Dean because Warren played for Subiaco um, in WA, and um, he sort of sidled up to me and said, "Geez, mate, you've just broken my bloody heart." Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I, and I think that was the uh, overwhelming feeling of um, 
of what happened on that day and how the Melbourne people were feeling. And, and in a way, there was a feeling that, you know, we'd been in five in a row or four in a row and mm. we somehow stole it. But, you know, again, you, you, don't, you know, in your career, you, you live or you play to play in grand finals and win premierships. And, you know, obviously we're thrilled about it. But the ironic mm. thing was in that last home and away game, we were playing Geelong at Geelong. And, um, you know, we had a late start or for some reason, but our game kept going and Melbourne had beaten Bulldogs. And, but it all came down to our game. We had to beat Geelong for them to get into the finals. So That's correct. He did us in, a favour. In the, in the <laughs> end, you know, uh, the Melbourne supporters, I think, all stayed listening to the, the radio or the Love broadcast and, and they were cheering and... And whatever, as um, we came back and, and we actually uh, won the game uh, down at mm. Kidinia Park. And um, so we were heroes in their eyes uh, just for that fleeting moment in 87. <laughs> Jeez, That's well, right. You, you backed what? up over that, didn't you, in the end, Stretchy? Jeez. Well, no, there, there was actually a, a fleeting moment in that last game against Footscray. Um, it was about five minutes to go. And as Gary said, you know, John Northey had been telling us that we were... Um, the Hawthorne were winning out at Cadinia Park um, all day. And in actual fact, they weren't. So he was just trying to keep us positive. And then with about three minutes to go in the last quarter, um, the crowd just roared and cheered um, at, uh, at uh, Footscray. Um, we thought the siren gone, but it hadn't. What had happened, everyone had their transistors on and Hawthorne had hit the front, which meant that Melbourne were in the finals. So it was, uh, it was very ironic, but... Uh, yeah, we were very grateful for Hawthorne, obviously, but then um, the tables turned in the prelim. Jeez, we've got staggered games now, don't we? But it would be great for the last round, round 23 or whatever it might be, to have them held simultaneously for all those reasons you just mentioned. There's some drama that comes with the simultaneous staging of games that probably can't be replicated, I wouldn't have thought. No, no, fantastic. It would be good, but uh, yeah, I guess we're all worried about uh, um, you know um, mm. the, the TV rights and... and, and television and all that sort of stuff so it becomes very very difficult uh, to, to coordinate I guess but uh, yeah it would be nice and Gary it, I know you'll be humble on this but it'd be remiss of us not to talk about your personal performance on prelim final day I mean you've kicked five the match winner after the siren the Hawks have only kicked 11 for the day I mean I know it um, didn't go your way the next week against Carlton but you must be oh you must have been enormously satisfied with your own contribution on the afternoon yeah look <laughs> It was sort of a weird year, 87, you know. Uh, it started with me wanting to go to the West Coast Eagles, having to go to court, and then Gawthorne winning, me coming back. And I, I'm the one that kicks the goal to get the club into the grand final again. You know, on a cold, blustery, windy, windy day that we kicked against the wind for three quarters. The next mm. week, grand final day, it was 34 degrees. <laughs> you might have been great. You, you might have been cooked. melted. Yeah. We got melted and we literally were cooked by half time. We were yeah. gone. Yeah. You know it's hot if Tucky takes the long sleeves off, which he did that afternoon. <laughs> hey, uh, Gary yeah. and Stephen, pleasure to catch up today. You, you've joined us under very different circumstances. Gary, while you were defeated by Carlton, obviously, in that year's grand final. But fond memories for you. Stephen, that's obviously not the case. So we really appreciate you revisiting from the Melbourne perspective. The game, gee, doesn't it certainly live on as one of the most dramatic chapters in VFL, AFL history? You both played your part in it. Well done on all you achieved. And thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks, Sam. Good on you, Gary. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, good on you, Stretchy. And uh, Sam, well done.
And thanks for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. It's been thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Jump online. You can find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of some sporting icons. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.